0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It was a, a great night. The Bulls won the game. It was a low scoring game. I think 85 74 was the final score. Uh, but uh, uh, it gave a lot of people the opportunity to see Michael Jordan in action for the final time in Atlanta who otherwise would only be able to see him on TV. That was Art Trish longtime
1: executive who spent 23 seasons with the Atlanta Hawks, he's today's guest. Welcome to Dan Dickow's quarantine series on the Scorebook Live Today podcast. As the world, particularly the world of sports, is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis, Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one, delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free, and while you're there, leave a review. And we'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states, more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. The Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to wfdbank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's wafdbank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dickow.
2: I'm Al, Scorebook Live, Washington Today, our podcast during these uncertain times in our nation and across the world. Coming to you with our quarantine series where we bring you an expert in the world of sports. A lot of times these experts are coaches, former coaches, players, uh, maybe front office executives. Today we've got one of those. A front office executive spent over 20 years with the Atlanta Hawks before spending some time in the broadcast world as a producer as well as a sports talk radio show host i got to know him my my first couple of years in the nba while down with the atlanta hawks art trish art how's life and uh thanks
0: for joining appreciate it dan it's good to see you again i know we've stayed in contact off and on on twitter uh over the years uh, catching up seeing how never how both of us are doing and uh Uh, Like everyone right now, you're just uh, chilling and relaxing and hoping we're able to get through this uh, current situation in our country and the world uh, as uh, best we can and hope that uh, the numbers continue to decrease of those infected by the disease and uh, that the deaths uh, uh, level off a little bit. It's a strange way to say level off when over 45,000 people uh, or more have died, but uh, we pray and hope that uh, those of us who have either known someone who's been affected uh, uh continue to remain strong and, and prayerful during this time
2: well we had a chance to catch up uh off off uh offline a little bit before recording our our interview here and, and i learned a little bit more about you in the in your background growing up of, of being an athlete but then getting to college and trying to uh kind of map out uh, a career path for you i mentioned You know, a lot of experts that we've had here on our podcast have have gone the front office, the executive route in the Mm -hmm. NBA. Now, most people that are involved in professional sports or college sports have a love for the game. And a lot of them go from playing at a high level into a different position for someone who maybe looks at themselves as a young kid and maybe a high school student athlete says, I'm never going to play at the professional level. Uh, I might not even play at the college level, but I want to be involved in sports. I love it. There's nothing more exciting to me than being involved in it. Give us uh, a little bit of background on how you got involved and what advice would you give to somebody in these day and ages of getting involved?
0: Yeah, I I always wanted to uh, play sports as far as I, I could take it. Uh, Growing up, I played high school and uh, basketball and baseball, and uh, basketball certainly was my first love. My school didn't have a football team, so there wasn't an avenue for me to pursue that. But I was also working as a student manager uh, or ball boy at Tulane University, which which was not that far from my home, maybe a mile from that location. And I would go over there uh, and help the, the student managers out and the trainers Uh, in various odd tasks after their practices, helping to clean the locker room, putting out uniforms for the next day's practice and stuff like that. And never knew I would be able to make a career of it because I was desiring to get into the sports communication field and to become a sports broadcaster, uh, at one time, because I loved watching how, uh, guys, uh, delivered the sports on TV, whether it was live action sports or uh, commentary on the local sports cast. And it was, a, uh, and I thought I was very knowledgeable about sports and it was a, a path that I wanted to pursue. And so, uh, Luckily for me, I was able to obtain a scholarship at Tulane to, to be a student manager, uh, did four years with the basketball program there, and uh, made a lot of contacts. This business is about relationships, and I learned even at a young age that meeting people, was uh, establishing contacts from various schools and various uh, programs around the country, uh, it, you never knew if it would open doors for you down the line or if you would use uh, those people as uh, mentors as well. I was able to uh, broaden my career upon graduation when my uh, boss at Tulane, uh, the SID at the time, uh, offered me a position with him uh, upon graduation. Uh, And I, I didn't have a job at the time. The sports broadcasting opportunity I would have to pursue with an internship. And so I didn't know if it would make sense for me to turn down a job uh, since I had one at the time and if I wanted to get into sports broadcasting, maybe somewhere down the road if the sports administration then of sports communications uh, didn't work out, then I would uh, do that. And so I became his assistant sports information director, worked at uh, Tulane for three additional years. I had been with that program four years of high school, uh, four years of college, and then three additional years uh, uh, upon graduation. So uh, at that point in time, I was itching to to maybe leave uh, because we had a basketball scandal and our basketball program was shut down. uh, And it was a program that was obviously near and dear to my heart, but I didn't know how long the program would be curtailed. And I decided to maybe give that broadcasting itch uh, uh, an opportunity, but based on those contacts, as I mentioned that I I made over the years, the former uh, assistant AD at Louisville had moved to LSU and uh, he and I had always had a good relationship between uh, the games we played against each other. And he offered me a position to join LSU's athletic program. Now, LSU, as you see, I'm wearing uh, an LSU shirt to this day, uh, was our arch rival. And I never thought I would work there, but uh, it was a way for me to advance my career uh, based on those uh, relationships. It I looked at it from a uh, let's see where this takes us next instead of worrying about the Tulane LSU rivalry and so ended up spending three years there with that program uh, worked various tasks as an assistant in football uh, headed up the basketball SID PR side my last year there and then went on to the NFL with the Detroit Lions as an assistant PR director Uh, spent a year there and uh, that's when I really knew Uh, I was ready to get into sports broadcasting because when I was with the Lions, uh, the football season just wasn't long enough for me from a, from a work standpoint. I mean, you're working from roughly uh, August to the end of the season. And if you don't make the playoffs, then you're done in December. Uh, But I, I had uh, met up with some people with the Atlanta Hawks over my years uh, in the business. And they, they knew I was a big NBA fan. The head job with the Hawks was uh, available. Uh, My ex-boss was working in Atlanta. He put in a good word for me, went down for the interview for uh, the head PR job. And the rest of us, they say, was history. I ended up spending 23 years with the franchise, had a lot of fun, wished I was still there. (laughs) Uh, But uh, a situation beyond my control uh, ended up happening, and then uh, I had to uh, find a new job. Then I finally got into uh, communications. Uh, The broadcasting in, producing, uh, a radio show at uh, the CBS, then CBS affiliate here in Atlanta, uh, was starting up. Uh, it was something new, and uh, I produced uh, there for seven years. Did an NBA podcast, uh, obviously with my connections around the league, was able to have some guests here and there. And uh, along with uh, my co-host Andy Bunker, who used to work, uh, ironically enough, outside think in the Portland area, uh, and he's done a great job here in Atlanta, and he's now doing a midday show but it uh, the business was very fruitful, very beneficial to me. It was a lot of fun, enjoyed it tremendously. You made a lot of uh, friends over the years, relationships that extend to this day and I think one of the things I would recommend to those interested in um, getting into the sports field is to never give first of all get the best education you possibly can and make sure that uh, uh, you want to push yourself as far as you can go. Uh, having a graduate, I know there are a lot of graduate programs in sports administration these days. It's not necessary to have that in my opinion, but it certainly doesn't doesn't hurt you. And a lot of programs are able to uh, steer you into a lot of uh, different areas of, of sport that can further your career if you don't have the ability to become a professional athlete and uh, or become a head coach somewhere. You can certainly find a niche uh, in the, the sports uh, field that uh, best suits you and can lead to a pretty rewarding career.
2: You know, I I find a lot of advice in kind of you detailing out uh, kind of the pathway of your career. And the biggest thing I think that stuck out, uh, is you said, this business is all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And when you uh, cultivate and develop those relationships, you might not know what is open as a available job or opportunity a year down the road, but if you have those de- relationships developed, you might be the first person that comes to mind when somebody's in a position to hire. What is what what is a piece of advice that you would give a, a young high school or college student athlete as they are developing their network of relationships to stay front and center without asking for a job because I've heard from a number of people as well as, be available, but not.
0: As- I would probably say to define what area of interest best suits you. And uh, don't define uh, it to just one particular area because sports is a vast network of uh, opportunities. Uh, you can become a trainer, you can become an equipment guy, you can become uh, an economist and work in the business office, there are com- uh, community affairs departments. The college level is certainly um, much more uh, vast in terms of opportunities uh, because uh, you have over 300 and I want to say 320 or more uh, Division One A programs compared to maybe from a professional sports uh, angle, and I'm talking NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL. Maybe a little more than 110, 120 sports leagues uh, or sports teams. So you don't have as many opportunities from that standpoint as you do uh, pursuing uh, something on the college level. That's not to say that you should give up uh, dreams of working on the pro level if that's what you desire. And then from a high school standpoint, we know there are plenty of high schools all over the country that you can get your foot wet and, and get your start and in, in moving into that field. But I would I would probably recommend as high school students uh, get closer to their uh, college choice to, to think about uh, what they would like to do early in their careers. Because whereas I knew uh, communications was something I wanted to do the moment I went to to college, I kind of fell into sports PR. And from that, that point on, I didn't have, I didn't know about sports PR until I got to college, but uh, I I obviously enjoyed it because I stayed in it for over uh, 30 years or more, but uh, it, Always broaden your horizons. Don't limit yourself to just one particular area because that that may not uh, uh, pan out for you uh, because of the the number of people also pursuing that same uh, line of work, and uh, you don't want to limit yourself. So make sure that you have uh, uh, an ability to to help yourself become successful by by choosing a lot of or looking at a lot of and doing a lot of research in a lot of different areas that may suit you in the sports field that uh, you otherwise didn't think of before.
2: Uh, <laughs>
0: <early,
2: early, laughs> especially early in your career as you're kind of learning what your path may eventually become. I, I want to kind of take a-, a big picture look now about how the NBA changed during your 20 some years with the Atlanta Hawks. And the reason I ask this is because there's a ton of focus on that mid not eight 1980s stretch. Uh, mm-hmm. as well as the 1997-98 season in the NBA because of the, the phenomenal Mike, Michael Jordan and, and Bulls Last Dance documentary. So in your time there, you saw a big-time change in the, how the league was promoted, how the message of the league was promoted. Um, are there any true or defining examples in, in your mind that just kind of took the league from, hey, this is a nice thing, into Boom, it's possibly the greatest and best
0: league in the world. Oh, no question. Uh, I can't, I joined the NBA in 1989. Uh, the 1989-90 season was my first. And I was I was joining the league at the right time. And I say that because uh, having uh, interest in the league and following the league as much as I did as a kid, uh, the, the New Orleans Jazz was a team that was in New Orleans for a few years before they moved to Utah and Salt Lake City. Uh, but the Lakers were my favorite team growing up. The Showtime era was uh, my thing. I mean, you couldn't tell me anything about Magic Johnson uh, in a negative way. And uh, Jerry West was my favorite player growing up. And uh, you'd see me, uh, my mother would give me a business about sitting uh, during playoff games of, of Having a liquor sweatsuit on, like I was getting ready to check in off the bench from New Orleans. <laughs> uh, but I was like, "Look, you're not going to destroy my dream. Leave me alone. I'm, this, I'm in my element right now." But uh, joining the the league at uh, when I did, uh, it was a, a lot of fun because it was on the the uh, the in increase because the 80s, the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s was a rocky time in the NBA. It They were going through a drug problem with uh, some of his players. Uh, It was perverse throughout the league. Uh, CBS was the broadcast uh, network of choice for the league, and they weren't uh, willing to maybe pay top dollar uh, for NBA games. The NBA finals were shown on tape delay, believe that or not. Uh, When Magic Johnson's rookie year, when they beat the Philadelphia 76ers, game one of that finals and a few others, were shown on tape delay, so which meant in New Orleans uh, you would generally see a game seven o 'clock uh, central time that game was shown uh, after local news, uh, so ten thirty at night is when you saw the NBA Finals. Now think about that wow. we see games at ten thirty nowadays, but that 's the second game of a ESPN or TNT or NBA TV uh, uh, network broadcast because they've shown you an earlier game that started at eight o'clock Eastern time or what have you. Uh, and so from that standpoint, that was one big and major aspect as to how the league took itself to another level, because once magic was able to establish himself as the type of player he was the NBA had good players before magic Johnson showed up. But when he and Larry bird entered the scene off of that uh, dramatic uh, NCAA final four, they elevated the, the league to a heights, uh, they, they've been moving past, uh, even since that time. And then when you brought in players like magic, uh, Michael and, uh, uh I'm, I'm, I'm losing sense of some of those players that, that were back in that era, but understand how great the league became, uh, the, the interest grew, uh, NBC, the broadcast on NBC took it to yet another level. Uh, the iconic NBA, NBA on NBC uh, theme song, people still hum it to this day, and uh, recognize it to this day. And the league itself became a marketing uh, uh, juggernaut. They were able to uh, market these players uh, better than any of the leagues uh, out there, NFL included. And at that time, the, the league, uh, you, you saw NBA likenesses on everything, whether it was cups or t-shirts, hats, uh, socks uh guys uh, uh, wanted to be like Mike as the old uh, Gatorade commercial uh, went down and uh, we were able to build uh, each of our individual teams as uh, from a communication standpoint of letting people know a little bit more about the players than you perhaps would would have outside of just watching them on on uh, the t- on the TV because what we decided I think the league decided to do was to expand the the, the fans' interests and also their ability to get behind the scenes and see what uh, Dan Dickow is like at home. Uh, what are her, some, some of his hobbies uh, in, in addition to playing basketball? What is, what, are, what, is he, what is he like away from the court? And I think that gave fans a, a little bit more insight as to how uh, players were from the field. Uh, or the court, and uh, gave, provided some uh, background into the fact that they weren't just athletes. They were human beings, and uh, they it, it also provided even more uh, of an opportunity to broaden the brand. Uh, the NBA took its uh, sport internationally, uh, and I think they were the, the first, and they do, they do it the best. In terms of marketing uh, the brand uh, outside of the United States, uh, I mean, uh, kids were playing basketball all over the world, but I they certainly weren't following the NBA back in the days when uh, I first joined. But in uh, based on the the struggles we were having in the Olympics with college players, uh, FIBA and NBA commissioner David Stern decided to uh, bring the professionals into the game to make the game more uh, amenable to those who weren't able to uh, uh, see or touch or feel uh, NBA basketball. And that brand expanded to Africa, India, Pakistan, uh, Russia, Europe. It was all over the place. And it culminated with uh, the dream team being at the games in 92. And uh, that was the best team ever assembled. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see a team like that ever again. Uh, it doesn't matter who goes to the Olympics to represent the USA. That team was the first, and it was it was a, quite a collection of talent. Um, and it was uh, I think the NBA is, has done a great job in uh, marketing itself, uh, giving fans an opportunity to uh, see uh, the players away from the court. It's the one sport where you can reach out and touch them. Uh, as we all know, I mean, you're sitting on, the, uh, on a bench during a game and you may be having a conversation during a timeout with a fan sitting right behind you uh, and uh, you're paying attention to your coach, obviously, and paying attention to what your team's doing. But uh, there are times when, when players have the opportunity to talk to fans and uh, engage a little bit with a, a child here and there. And uh, I think uh, those enhancements have made the, the NBA one of the best sports out there.
2: Yeah, I love how you say the NBA has done one of the best marketing jobs, if not the best of all professional sports. I would agree. And they took that dream team uh, experience and grew the game globally. And with the Last Dance documentary being uh, released, and I I would imagine you're the same way as me. They released two on Sunday, and they're going to keep doing these these next couple weeks. I just wanted them to release all 10 at once. I was going to lock the kids out of the living room and just kind of watch them in, in continuation. I can only imagine. And and that because they haven't all been released yet. You guys had two iconic games being the Atlanta Hawks versus the bulls that season. The reason I say they're iconic one, you guys had a really good team. Mm -hmm. um, But two, you talked about the marketing in the NBA, but the marketing in the Atlanta Hawks also did a tremendous job that year from what I've read and what I've known is you had two of the top seven most attended NBA games in NBA history that year. One game had 45,000. The other set the all-time attendance record for a regular game, not an all-star game, over 62,000 people. Yeah. How in the heck did you guys prepare for a regular season NBA game like that?
0: Well, knowing that I had spent a year in Detroit uh, and watching the Pistons play, they were playing at our uh, then facility, football facility, the Silverdome, as they built the palace at Auburn Hills. And so uh, they had the NBA record uh, attendance figure, I think it was about 48,000. And I couldn't, I don't recall if that was set during a a regular season game or a playoff game, but uh, having been aware of that number, and knowing, going prior to the 80, 97, 98 season, that that could be the last, well, it, was, it turned out to be the last season of uh, Michael's run uh, with the Bulls. And I, we had various discussions uh, amongst our management team about uh, how many people could we actually fit uh, comfortably in the Georgia Dome. We were playing there two years. This was our last year playing at the Dome because we were building our new uh, facility at the time called Phillips Arena. It's now called State Farm Arena. Uh, and uh, we wanted to try to give as many people as possible in the, in the area the opportunity to see the game. Uh, we had a uh, very uh, good team ourselves. Uh, it was a playoff team, Steve Smith, Mookie Blaylock, Dikembe Mutombo, Christian Leitner, Tyrone Corbin, Allen Henderson, cats like that were uh, our uh, top six players on the team. And uh, we, we had some very competitive games, like most, uh, against the Bulls. We got a few. They got more. Uh, uh, but that first game, when we sold, uh, we actually sold the forty-five thousand seats, and we were playing in the end zone of 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 what you would view as a any NFL football stadium. And so it, we could have gotten more, but we didn't really want to push it at that time. But and we ended up getting forty-five thousand. So we had our next meeting. Uh, staff meeting and uh, I encouraged uh, our staff. I said, can we end that? No, I'm not the one calling the shots here. I'm the PR director. Uh, I had a, a boss and a couple of other bosses and we we came to an agreement that it would, uh, a- after they were a little apprehensive about it at first because a lot of those people wouldn't be able to see. Uh, now the Georgia Dome had the TV screens that would allow you to, to see the game from far away. And from a football standpoint, that was fine because the football field stretches a hundred yards. Well, you take the end zone and you move seats over for a basketball game that kind of limits your, your viewing potential. And so I said, Hey, let's go for the record. It'd be nice for us to have this memory from this year. Uh, maybe in the Guinness book of world records forever. Uh, who at the time we didn't figure that anybody could top it because no one was playing in a, uh, a similar uh, stadium setup. And, uh, Let's a also hope that we win, but uh, from a, the, the one thing I, I kept thinking about in my mind was uh, opening tip-off. Knowing how many uh, flash bulbs go off for people take, taking pictures and, and something like that. I kept thinking, how, how electric will that, would that be? Uh, opening tip-off of a game of a sellout at the Georgia Dome for a basketball game. And lo and behold, uh, we sold a bunch of tickets for $5, in areas where people had difficulty seeing, but just wanted the opportunity to be in the building, and we donated that money to. Uh, we had had uh, a major tornado come through North Georgia at the time, and so we donated proceeds from the five-dollar tickets to uh, the relief efforts, uh, and we ended up setting that record, sixty-two thousand, I think, uh, or sixty-sixty-one thousand. My son is telling me in the background 61,000. I think he's wrong. It was 62,045, I believe. And so, uh, it was a, a great night. The Bulls won the game. It was a low-scoring game. I think 85-74 was the final score. Uh, but uh, uh, it gave a lot of people the opportunity to see Michael Jordan in action for the final time in Atlanta, who otherwise would only be able to see him on TV. And I guarantee you everybody to this day would probably say they were there, uh, and that they were sitting courtside, or at least uh, in, in vantage point uh, to, to the Chicago bench or what have you, and they may have been sitting zones away uh, from the basketball court. But it was a lot of fun playing those games. I think we played about, we split our games between Georgia Dome and Georgia Tech. Uh, We played about uh, nine to 11 games at Georgia Tech because we couldn't get every night we wanted at the Georgia Dome. But uh, it was uh, was a nice memory. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised. We talk about the last dance and how uh, this uh, episode Uh, three and four coming, uh, upcoming. I did see that first game was a part of uh, episode two, I believe. uh, And we beat them in that game, uh, the Bulls we did. And uh, the second game was uh, in the month of March. So they're supposedly doing these uh, episodes based on each month of the Bulls season. So as it gets closer to the March episode, uh, if you notice a big football stadium uh, game, that was the Hawks and Bulls and the 62,000 in attendance
2: well i cannot wait uh to continue to watch this series now i'm going to be able to uh watch that with a little bit more of insider information art it i know it's been been a while since we connected um i really appreciate the time i'm sure some of our listeners who a lot of them are coaches parents uh high school student athletes as well as some college student athletes uh will find some nuggets in this as they kind of pursue their goals and dreams within the sports world. So, Art, I appreciate it. You and your family, stay safe. And you do the same. Again. Appreciate it, Dan. Good to see you. You too. Thanks.